I was really stressed out and couldn't go to sleep. And I came up with a motto that has really guided me well. And the motto is live, laugh, love, and let go. And what I mean by that is try to live life to its fullest. Laugh, laugh a lot. (laughs) You know, the world has its funny twists and turns and you can't be too serious. You have to figure out what you love because it makes the journey so much easier. And then probably the most important part is let go. Sometimes people hold themselves back because what they think other people think they should be doing or what they conceive is the right thing in society. Don't worry about the little stuff. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Andrew Darvin, humor engineer. And I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. Andrew and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we both had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about how they got their start, how they make it work, and what keeps them going. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee, or in my case, hot chocolate. On today's show, we're talking to P&G alumni leader, Chris Malkowski. Yeah, Roman, I loved hearing her continue to relate things back to being your full self. Yeah, I, I think this is kind of like one of the many themes I continue to pick up out of out of this podcast project we're doing, Drew. So here's a quick bio on Chris. Chris is a CEO of Newell's Food Brands, overseeing operation of brands like Ball, Food Saver, and Rubbermaid. She's had more than 30 years of proven leadership across Fortune 500 companies, startups, and private equity, like Ark International, World Kitchen, which is brands like Pyrex, Corel, and Corningware, and Sears running the Craftsman brand, Ubiquity, and of course, P&G, where she actually launched the Aleve brand before Procter sold it off. Chris serves on the boards of Trustmark Insurance and Fluidmaster. She graduated summa cum laude with the Bachelor of Journalism from the University of Nebraska, and she has a Six Sigma certification from Villanova. But more important than all of that, she's a proud mom of three amazing kids who have grown up into working, accomplished professionals. Yeah, what a, a fantastic bio, fantastic way to to end it. And what I loved hearing was her her personal motto of live, laugh, love, and let go. And so I'm, I'm curious, Roman, do you have a personal motto? Uh, if at first you don't succeed, don't try skydiving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, the Stephen one, Wright joke, I think. Yeah. No, one actually that I picked up in my startup career, and I, I really love this one. It informs everything I do professionally and even personally, and as I think more politically minded about the world, is the idea of have strong beliefs weakly held. And what that means is, yeah, stand by your convictions, but be open minded. So strong beliefs weakly held. That's a motto. I- uh, that, that makes more sense. At first, I thought you meant weakly held in the sense that you only have a strong, a strong belief for a week. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that too. What about you, Drew? Yeah, I have a couple of mottos. One is to err on the side of awesome. Okay. Right? So, so like if, if any time you could be, you know, faced with you're not sure of how something is going, it could be one of two ways. It's to, you know, err on the side of, of it being more awesome. So for example, with a lot of virtual events, I'm used to hearing laughter when I speak, but you don't get that all the time with virtual. And so I just assume that I am crushing it when doing a virtual event. I'm just assuming that people are laughing at all the jokes that I share because that that's a more awesome experience than imagining that they're not. Well, it allows you to take it to 11. 
Exactly. Got to turn it up to 11. The other one is I say yes to milkshakes. If anyone's ever like, hey, do you want to grab a milkshake? The answer is yes. Even if I've just finished drinking a milkshake, if someone else is like, do you want to get a milkshake? I Yes, I will. So any listener who really wants to take Drew out to pitch him your wares, offer him a milkshake. That's, that's <laughs> Absolutely. They're the most efficient form of, of dessert. And I think that's an important. You, you got to learn for yourself what you, what you like in your own life. It's really good to be doing this podcast with a grown-up. <laughs> but speaking of actual grown-ups, look, let's bring it back to Chris. I love getting personal with our guests. And, you know, as a mid-career professional, raising a kid, trying to figure out what's next with, for work and life, hearing about the choices she made about raising her kids and her and her husband kind of balancing careers, she took three years off and talks about how she had to explain that to recruiters. So it's just really interesting. Which, and, and, and I'm curious, so have you ever, because I have not done a sabbatical. I've been running from one thing to the next, uh, basically PNG and then my business. But have you ever done a sabbatical? Yeah, you know, I've, I've actually done it a couple of times. The first one was before I actually started at PNG, I kicked back my start date as far as possible so I could go backpacking. I, at PNG, my, my now wife, she took a pretty big sabbatical when I got a role in Asia. When my daughter was born, I left the startup world for a few months. And then more recently, I'm working on these podcasts and a few other secret projects as a sabbatical from startup life. And it's just kind of like run really hard in the role. But I always have like some secret plan of something I want to work on for a month or a few, whether it's raising a kid, spinning up some businesses or content projects. It's just been, it's really rejuvenating for me because when I go back into quote unquote industry or the day job, I have like a, a more lateral perspective on everything. And, you know, I think... This, that's something I just really respected from Chris. When she was in the game, she played it well, she played it hard, but she was willing to see the bigger picture and willing to fight for the bigger picture in her life. Even some of the examples, she talked about being a female in business. So this was just a really fun personal conversation. So let's dive right in and I hope you'll enjoy our conversation with Chris. Chris, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks. I'm excited to be with you today. So a lot of people might already know your professional story, more than 30 years of proven leadership, marketing innovation, experience growing consumer brands from companies like Newell, Arc, Sears, Ubiquity, and of course, P&G. And you've frankly had a lot of experiences across a broad range of environments, Fortune 500, startups, and private equity. I guess what I really want to know, though, is who were you before that? Can you tell us a story about your life before you started your career journey? Absolutely. So I was the middle child. I had two brothers, grew up on a farm in Nebraska, went to the same grade school with nine other classmates, one girl, eight boys for eight years. And my father milked 50 head of cattle in addition to growing pigs and chicken and corn and alfalfa and soybeans. So I was constantly working. We had an apple orchard. We canned many apples. We sold apples to the grocery store. We sold eggs to the grocery store. I would get up every morning at four o'clock and help with milking the cows once I was of about the age of 12 and continued that all the way through high school and finally escaped to college, but really learned the meaning of work ethic and of creating and crafting with your hands to create your outcomes. Well, I usually like to ask what was your first job, the first way you made money, but well, actually, did you make money doing that or what was the first way you made money? Okay, there's a funny story here. Rad Ewing was interviewing me. He's this wonderful MBA Harvard grad for an interview at Procter & Gamble. And he asked me that question. Tell me about your first paid job, what you did and what you learned. 
And I said, you really want to know about my first paid job? And he said, yes, I do. I said, okay. Starting at the age of five, I would go and gather the eggs out of the chicken coop. And for every 144 eggs I would gather and wash, I would get 10 cents. And what I learned is that the eggs you buy in the grocery store do not look like the eggs that come out of a chicken coop. (laughs) What did you want to be when you grew up? And more importantly, what did you want to be when you grew up? And what did your parents want you to be when you grew up? Well, my mother wanted me to be a doctor. And I told her that was impossible because I would cry harder than the patient when I told them they had terminal cancer. So what I really always liked was trying to figure out what drove consumer behaviors. I thought I wanted to be a detective. Then when I was in college, I decided I wanted to be a journalism major. But I really was always intrigued about how you could move people to do something or why they did what they did. Well, so eventually you wound up going to university and then you got your first job. And Can you share some early career lessons that you might have learned? Well, I will tell you, I was pretty green behind the ears when I got my job at P&G, and I didn't go through the normal recruiting process. A senior executive who had gone to my undergrad was told about me and invited me out for an interview. So the first thing that I learned is the world is much larger and bigger than the world that I had been part of, and yet... I found that even though there was much greater diversity, humans are all the same people. And if you can excite them and understand unmet needs, which was something that P&G was really good at helping you figure that out, you could make a meaningful difference in their life with the products that you launched for them. And it just was so fulfilling and exciting to learn that I could bring this curiosity that I always had about why people behave the way they did and bring it alive with great consumer products. Is there a story from the early part of your career, something that you had a lot of fun with? (laughs) Because I didn't have all the pedigree of some of the people who were coming from great MBA programs, I was put on smaller brands. But actually, that was a wonderful experience because it allowed me to do what I think was right without worrying about really screwing up a Tide or a Pampers. (laughs) And as a result, we were able to take the shampoo and conditioner in one technology and reapply it to Perp Plus to restage Metamucil to the big brand it was to figure out how to launch a leaf pain reliever to the consumer market, create Thermacare heat wraps. It was really wonderful to be able to do what I thought was right as opposed to worry about losing a couple points a share. Yeah, it's, it's always fun when you get to work on the number two brand or the challenger brand in the category because I don't want to say there are no expectations, but you don't have as many eyes over your shoulder. (laughs) Right. You can do what's right without doing what nine other people collectively tell you what you should be doing. So early on in your career, what were some of the places where things didn't work out the way you thought they would? I got pregnant twice within one year and ended up having three babies because the second babies were twins. And that was a real experience because there hadn't been a lot of role models for Procter & Gamble at the time of women who had husbands with successful careers and had three children in diapers and could be launching a leave, which is what we were doing at the time. So that was a learning for me that If I just focus on the prize at hand, which is having happy kids, having a husband who can have a successful career, focusing on my own career, and focusing on delivering a 
great product concept to consumers and not get too hung up in all of the detail and not get too hung up in stress that might come its way, you really can balance it and have the benefits of a very multifaceted life. You make it sound so easy. As a relatively young parent of only one kid, not three, right? <laughs> Talk to me about that idea of focus, because it would seem like you, you, you ratcheted off like four pretty intense things, kids, husband's career, your own career, launching a new brand. How do you take a step back? What are some of the, the tips you might give someone who's facing that kind of stress right now? Yeah. So very early after having the twins, I was really stressed out one night. My husband was traveling on a business trip and I was getting so stressed, I couldn't go to sleep. And I came up with a motto that has been my motto ever since. And it's really guided me well. And the motto is live, laugh, love and let go. And what I mean by that is try to live life to its fullest. I think sometimes people hold themselves back because they want to do what they think other people think they should be doing or what they conceive is the right thing in society. Love is very important. You have to love what you do if you don't figure out what you love because it makes the journey so much easier. Laugh a lot. (laughs) The world has its funny twists and turns and you can't be too serious. And then probably the most important part is let go. There were so many women and men that I met along the way who were guilty that they weren't doing this for their child or they were guilty they didn't bake cookies and they bought ho-hos instead for the school contribution that they had to make for their kids. Don't worry about the little stuff. Your kids are not going to sit there when they're adults and say, oh my gosh, you're the only mother who didn't bake cookies for our Valentine's party. That's not what they're going to remember. I love that. Live, laugh, love, and let go. And yeah, they're not going to remember the cookies. They're going to remember that you were there. Exactly. Our friend John Pepper said something that it's not just what you do, it's how you make people feel. And I think that that really does apply to families, young and old. It does. It was really interesting. My daughter is 29. And probably about four years ago, we were talking about the fact that she had a working mother her entire life. And I said something like, I'm sorry if I missed out on things. And she goes, You didn't miss out on anything, mom, because when you were present, you were present. There were so many other moms who were stay-at-home moms who never were present with my friends. And I thought, wow, that's such a beautiful thing for my daughter to have grown up and tell me. Well, and also she saw you succeeding at work and life, right? You were modeling kind of behavior for her, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I always did with my children is when I would come home and somebody might have done something inappropriate at work or gotten angry and yelled, I would say to them, guys, here's what happened to me today. And such and such happened and it really wasn't a good scene. What would you have done? And it's fascinating to me because I've raised three professional children who really seem to have a good perspective on handling the friends and the work situations they're in and being balanced about it. I love that. Can I totally steal that approach? Like when I, when I struggle with something <laughs> sure. at work, I should bring it home and I should ask my daughter. Because yes. I, I think she might have a more honest, removed opinion than my own institutional knowledge. That is what I found. Absolutely. So a lot of folks, all of us, frankly, face career folks and forks in the road, inflection points where decisions made set us on a path. And beyond children, 
what were some of those forks in the road for you? I talked about my husband having a successful career. He was a CEO before I became a CEO. And he actually lived in Asia Pacific for six years while the kids were young. And I was working at P&G. And so when he finally came back to the US to take a job, I decided to leave Proctor. And I was doing great and having a great time to have the kids see dad around the dinner table. And I decided, I don't know what pursued me to do this, but I decided to start a contract product management company servicing small pharmaceutical drugs, which was very difficult to start a company, but we were successful and we grew it to 185 people, employees in our company. And ironically, I was able to sell the company, but I learned a lot about really digging down deep when things look difficult and finding it within me to see beyond the big hurdle that seemed to block all the light out of the day and to really have a longer focused view on what I was trying to accomplish, which I have used in every other situation that I've been in since. Yeah, I would imagine your motto, right? Laughing, loving and letting go are all part of kind of what can help success of an entrepreneurial venture like that. So along the way, did you have any mentors? I would say less that I had great mentors, but I had great bosses. And it started at Procter & Gamble. Jerry Perkinson was my boss when I was pregnant twice (laughs) with three outcomes. And he was like, don't get stressed up, Chris. I know you're going to get the work done. And I did get the work done. I've had great bosses since then, whether it's been at Ubiquity Brands or when I worked on Craftsman to take it outside of Sears at World Kitchen. And today, right now, my boss is Ravi Saligram. And if anybody knows Ravi, they know what a fantastic person he is to work for. And what was consistent about all these people is they weren't caught up in a convention of how you were supposed to behave or what hours you were supposed to be at work. They empowered you to make big things happen in whatever way worked best for you. And I'm not saying, you know, don't show up to work five days a week and things like that. But if I needed to leave at three o'clock in the afternoon to take my child to their annual pediatric appointment, or if I needed to take a couple of days off to help my dad move into assisted living, they understood that life happens and you need to make sure that you live life fully because that results in you giving the best output. And I would imagine you modeled some of that behavior as you've become an executive and you've had tons of people reporting to you. Yeah, I have. And it's interesting because whether you're male or female or of any race or gender orientation, people put stresses on themselves by what they perceive the world is expecting from them. And if you can go back to live, laugh, love and let go and just flick that off of yourself, you can get so much more accomplished. And and I do reach out to employees, just did it last week. And I said, hey, you are really putting too much pressure and stress on yourself. We're not asking that of you. Please find a way to let it go because you are so talented and so productive. And if you do that, you will be so much more impactful with your employees. So, Kind of to dig a little bit more there, by the time you were my age, you were managing a lot of young people entering this kind of life stage of starting a family or kids getting older, kids requiring more out of your day. 
How did you coach them about finding balance? Really, it was about being crystal clear on what the business objectives and results needed to be. I sometimes have observed that some people aren't crystal clear on what they expect. And it's interesting, it's life in general. If you know what's expected of you, 99% of the time, you're going to deliver against the expectation. So the way I helped people best was say, here's what's important. Here's what I expect out of you. This is not important. This is secondary. If it gets done, great. If it doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Because that helped people really understand what they needed to accomplish to be successful in the business organization. And it really freed them up to know what was not expected of them. Do you have to show up at this agency dinner? No, you don't because of what's happening in your personal life right now. Little things like that. Our audience, many of whom are rising women professionals, really want to hear about a moment where you as a female leader faced professional adversity, being treated differently from a male colleague. And are there any stories or lessons you can share about that? Yeah, <laughs> there's one in particular that comes to mind. And yes, I mean, I grew up, unfortunately, at a time where it was more acceptable for men to touch women inappropriately and things like that. And I would just not let myself get flustered if something happened that seemed inappropriate or was nearing being inappropriate. And I just kept focusing back on what are the results we're trying to create here when we were in business environments. But there was a time when I was a general manager in healthcare and I left at about 12.45 to go to the Summit Country Day to see the May Festival performance. My kids were all in preschool, ages three, three, and five, and I quietly came back to work. I didn't feel I needed to flaunt that I was leaving work in the middle of the day. And the next day, somebody from HR came to my office and she said, Chris, we have a problem. And I said, we do? And she said, yeah, it's this. And she flung her arms around the room and I go, what's this? And she goes, look at all these pictures of your children you have here. And rumor has it, you left for an hour yesterday to go to a May festival event. And I looked at her and I said, well, yes, I did. And I said, I don't understand what the problem is. And she goes, well, you're making the other general managers, all of whom were male at the time, uncomfortable because they don't feel comfortable leaving. They don't feel comfortable putting a lot of pictures of their kids up at work. And I said to the gal, I said, that's not my problem. That's their problem. And we need to embrace more showing of being 360 degree human. So my what I did the next day is I that night I went home, stopped the Walgreens and bought five picture frames and added five more pictures to my office. <laughs> That's great. I thought you were going to say you put the picture frames in the in your colleague's office and told them to populate them. <laughs> no. <laughs> what I love about that is standing up for what you need to be true, what you need to be right, right in that moment. Yeah, and I think it comes back to, I was just on a call, sadly, today with all that's been going on with the killing of George Floyd in Minnesota. I was on with our team of African-American professionals in Atlanta, and I was hearing stories about how sometimes they feel there is a 
norm that they need to live to and they can't bring them full selves to work. And the only way we're going to get better in the world and better in corporate America is to bring our full self to the workplace. And yes, we may face a little diversity. We may face some bias from other people, but if we stand strong and stand together, we can bring that diversity and that difference and that meaningfulness to the workplace, which will transcend into the brands that we sell. So if you had an email time machine, what would you send back to your younger self? Chris, when she's starting out her career? Believe in the path. And what I mean by that is after I sold that company, yeah. I actually took three years off, which is death when you are <laughs> about 38 years old. Well, I want to ask, related to what we've been talking about, how old were your kids when you made that decision? What was going on in your life then? So what was going on in my life is one of my son's came down with sensory integration disorder and needed therapy eight hours a week, two hours for four days a week at DuPage Easter Seals. And my other son developed sleep anxiety and was waking up anywhere from 10 to 15 times a night and waking me up every time he woke up. And I knew that I had to get the kids better in order to feel good about myself. So I took the three years off and then I go interviewing for jobs and everyone's looking at this hole in my resume and wasn't getting the jobs, but got very lucky. That's how I got into private equity. I went to Willis Stein, Avi Stein at the time with a business proposal. We actually bid on a business. We didn't end up getting the business. It was the American Girl Doll Company. We got outbid by Mattel, but we forged a great relationship and I became kind of a right-hand arm to Avi to go into business that Willis Stein had acquired that weren't doing well and help get them fixed and turned around so that they could have a successful sale of the business. When I was done with that, I said, maybe I need to work on a big brand. And fortunately, Eddie Lampert had decided to carve Kenmore Craftsman and Die Hard out of being just a retail brand for Sears. And Craftsman was a $4 billion retail business. And I went to run that. And ironically, the reason that I was selected was because I'd grown up on a farm and I knew tools and I knew lawn and garden <laughs> equipment and things like that. But we were very successful with that brand. I think it grew on average about 24% in POS every year while I was there, which then made me attractive to go to World Kitchen, another private equity play where I was the global president, which led to being the CEO at ARC, which led to Newell. And if you had asked me to map out my career when I started, I would have tried to control or selected only jobs that I thought would lead to bigger and better things. And it's actually that diversity of my career path experience that I think makes me much more effective in the workplace today. So my email back to my younger self was, don't worry about the path, it will get you there. Yeah, because one thing's going to lead to the next and you don't know what that is. You just kind of have to put your head down and do the work, right? And do the best that you can. That's right. Yeah. That's fantastic. And now a word from our sponsor. Today, we're talking to alumni entrepreneur Guy White, founder and managing director of The Catalyst, consumer research specialists who harness the power of the crowd to build better brands worldwide. Guy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So the question that I have kind of that's on the top of my mind when kind of understanding a little bit more about The Catalyst is really, what is crowd-led innovation? What does that mean? So crowd-led innovation is about embedding 
typically your consumer or your target audience into your business at great scale so you can get qualitative depth at a quantitative scale ultimately to help you build your brand or your business or your product okay and what's what's the value of doing that of bringing the consumer in at say a much earlier process than just the buy my product or service I think the best way to think about it is, I mean, I think people who have been in this situation will know what I'm talking about. If, if you imagine that you're in a room, perhaps with different functions in your company or with your agency, and you're all discussing about a new product or service or piece of communication that you're looking to develop, and everyone's having a discussion about it, no one really knows who's right or wrong. Everyone's uh, very experienced with a lot of knowledge. But ultimately, the only person that's going to tell you if you're right or wrong is is the person that's buying your product that's reaching for their wallet. And in the traditional way of doing things, you don't get them into the room at the scale you need to give you the advice and the opinion that you need. And that's what we do. Our approach allows you to get hundreds of your target audience into your room to understand uh, how they feel, what they think and what they want, ultimately to help you build better products and services and brands. Yeah, I mean, that make, makes a lot of sense. So if, if, you know, one person at the company is arguing, no, we need like an orange square and the other person is like a red circle, it, it would be helpful if the consumer in the room to be like, actually, what we're looking for is a green triangle. That's what, you know, I would actually pay for. So that's that sounds fantastic. What types of insights do this crowd-led type of innovation ultimately lead to? I mean, all sorts of things. So we work all the way from, you know, fundamental insight discovery. So the the building blocks of what makes a brand interesting to a person, what are their current frustrations with the products and services they use, and therefore how can you innovate most effectively to delight your consumer. We help companies develop better communication by working out what, what consumers like and dislike about what you're saying, build better products, better packaging, identify better ways of articulating that packaging and how you bring it to life, through to when you're already launched, when you're in store, how do you make your storefront look great? How do you make your products stand out in front of all your competition. So right the way from from the start to the end, we bring that consumer voice into into your organization. Oh, that sounds, sounds fantastic. And so if people want to learn a little bit more about the Catalyst or some of the things that you're up to, where can they find out more? Yeah, so a couple of ways. The first thing they could do is go and visit our website. And that's at www.thecatalyx.com. So T-H-E-C-A-T-A-L-Y-X.com. Or very happy for people to drop me an email at guy at thecatalyx.com as well. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Guy. And now back to our show. What are you working on today? I mean, we know you're running Newell Foods. What in work, outside of work, extracurricular What's got you excited right now? Well, I am very excited to be at Newell. I started on February 17th, and three weeks later, I went into work from home. So I've spent (laughs) the majority of my career at Newell in my office. (laughs) But it's very exciting times. Newell as a company is in a turnaround. The company kind of lost its way. The team that we have put together is really committed to getting the brands back on track. There is so much opportunity within the brands that I have right now. And coronavirus has actually helped our brands grow even more, which is really exciting because we've got a much broader household penetration and utilization because of coronavirus. And we have a fantastic new product development pipeline that is just going to continue to excite consumers about the brands that we have at Newell. On my personal front, my daughter got married about 
six months ago. And she and her husband have adopted a dog. So now I'm a grandmother of two dogs. One of my sons has a dog. And I love visiting with them and visiting with my adult children because they've grown up so wonderfully. And then my husband and I tried to take little vacations, long weekends here and there to do a little golfing, to spend a little time by the water. And finally, I have just finished writing a book which I won't go into much detail about, but it kind of picks up on the theme of live, laugh, love, and let go by looking at how experiences I've had in life, which might have been difficult, turned into being humorous and really brought alive my work experience in a way that has very dear memories. Are there any stories from that book, those experiences that you can tease here? (laughs) Sure. The one day when we were working on Femstat, a vaginal antifungal, where we thought we needed a better name and a naming agency came in, three people in dark suits, very stiffly dressed, droning on and on about the kind of names that would work for vaginal antifungal. And the fellow who was with me and anybody from P&G who knows him, Craig Wynette, Craig can get the giggles. And when he gets the giggles, it gets really contagious. And when the naming company came up with Yeast Be Gone, (laughs) Craig lost it, (laughs) to which I lost it. And we ended up walking out of the room because we were laughing and crying so hard and just left the naming agency (laughs) in the conference room. I sent the secretary back to tell him thank you and (laughs) to wish him a good trip home. (laughs) That's great. Since we've got a few minutes left, we like to kind of shift gears and ask some fun questions about you. What is something about you, maybe that doesn't involve a farm and cows, (laughs) that surprises people when they find it out about you? This kind of involves the farm, though. I used to belong to the Grand Prairie Coyote Club. What is that? That sounds awesome. We went out shooting coyotes, and we would pool the monies from the skins and have a big banquet at the end of the hunting season. (laughs) So, so if I'm ever up against a really tough person, I look at him and I go, but have you shot a coyote? And it usually gets them to blink a few times and go, no. And I go, so stop being so tough because I have. (laughs) But what else would surprise people? I was PTO president in Cincinnati for my child's grade school in Illinois and Hinsdale, Illinois for my child's grade school and for my child's middle school. So I've been PTO president three times. I love how, and you just have this like amazing resume of these just strong leadership brands and positions that you've had. And half of the conversation is about your family. I just, that's amazing. Chris, what's your go-to media scape? Are you more of a movies, books, or TV person? I am a books person, and it (laughs) drives my husband crazy because I'll put a book on tape in the car. I will have a physical book if I can grab a few minutes later in the evening or something like that to read. And I often have a stack of books waiting that I'm going to read next or books on tape that I'm going to listen to next. And my husband says, don't you get confused with the plot lines? (laughs) And I say, no, no, I can handle it. (laughs) So if there's a book that you've read recently that you would gift to a friend, what would that be? Oh, I just finished John Grisham. I'm kind of a fiction type person. Camino wins. That was good. I've read so many books. I don't want to isolate out just one, but there's been many, many great 
books, like Where the Crawdads Sing is another really great one that came out about a year ago and has spent a lot of time on the bestseller list. And there's a reason for it. I found that when I'm really deep into work, I read a lot of fiction because it helps me escape. And then when I go on vacation, that's actually when I start to read business or industry books. That is the same for me. And it really is that escape that I need during the work week until I'm on vacation. So I understand totally. So if you had the infinite resources to go do any one thing, what would it be? Well, when my husband and I retire, we're going to travel the world. We're both lucky in that we've had international jobs. So I've spent a lot of time in the Asia area in a number of Chinese cities in Singapore, Korea, Tokyo, Australia, Auckland, but I haven't really explored the European region nearly as much, and neither has my husband. And so we're going to try to see how many countries we can visit once we retire. Wow. Is there one place you would want to go back to? I loved Singapore. It is a clean country. It is a safe country. I got in at a kind of an off hour at two o'clock in the morning and walked down the street about six blocks in the dark, knowing that I was perfectly safe because I was in Singapore. The country is very beautiful too. And then I really like Shanghai. And I like Shanghai because it's a melting pot. It was governed by the British up until the early 60s. And as you walk down the street, you see almost every nationality and every country represented. And they celebrate that in Shanghai. Again, very beautiful city and great restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. No, I lived in Asia for about a year and the food scene was one of my favorite things, but also being able to use it as a jumping off point to the rest of the region. Yes. If you were interviewing someone on a podcast or having a coffee, it could be any person. Who would you want to get coffee with or who would you want to interview on a podcast? I've always wanted to have coffee with Ronald Reagan about six years into being president because he came in as an actor. Yes, he was a politician with the Screen Actors Guild, but I don't think he ever thought that he could come into such a leadership position in the world and make a difference with communism hold in Germany with relationships with Russia. And I would have loved to pick his brain as to how he guided himself in reaching out to these other countries, in being firm, but still open. Because I think a lot of good things happened while he was president in terms of internationally helping the U.S. continue to drive democracy and leading by example. So kind of related to that, we're in a pretty interesting world situation right now. Is there any advice or things you would ask of our leaders right now? Yeah, it seems the boomer generation in particular, and that's where our leadership is majoritively, they grew up on this idea that it's every man for himself. And if you succeed and win, that's what the goal is, leave others behind. I think they need to start reshaping the way they think and the way they work, whether with countries, whether within different population groups within our own country, and try to say, who are we trying to help and how can we help people better and make it more a team effort as opposed to 
there's one way and it's my way or no way of trying to accomplish goals. I think, you know, this purity and idealism, regardless of who you talk to, isn't helpful. And we need to be thinking more about how we help others as opposed to how we advance ourselves. Yeah, it's not about winners and losers. It's about a rising tide lifts all boats, right? Exactly. Last question. What's one final piece of advice or even a challenge that you would give to the next generation of leaders? (laughs) I I challenge them to continue what's in their heart, which is making the world a better place. There's a lot of focus by the couple generations behind me on sustainability with our planet, on helping to drive out divisiveness. And I would challenge them to stay true to the principles that they have because their heads and hearts are in the right direction. And if they stay strong and stay united as a team, they can accomplish their goals. That's some great advice. Well, Chris, thank you so much for just sharing your own personal stories. But frankly, being your whole self through your entire career. I think you've set a great example for a lot of people that have worked with you, and I know they're going to enjoy hearing these stories. Well, thank you. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For show notes about this episode, links to things mentioned, or requests for sponsorship, visit pgalums.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at pgalumpod. We'd love to hear from you. Learnings from Leaders is a production of the PNG Alumni Network a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now here's a preview of next week's episode. We don't require geniuses, just very smart people of good character. And character is a combination of the moral values that are distinctive to each individual. That is, in fact, a part of PNG's culture and always has been going back to the founding partners. And the character of PNG employees is what supports the company principle of always trying to do the right thing. I have always believed that integrity can also be a competitive advantage. That's it for this week. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Andrew Tarbin. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>